We are now going to reconvene our uh, ACB Board of Directors meeting associated with the DC Leadership Conference at 105. And we are now at the point in the agenda where we're going to hear staff reports. And I will uh, introduce Eric Bridges, our executive director. And then Eric, if you can kind of, you know, you all can kind of hand it on down through the list there to the next person and the next person. And um, here is uh, Eric Bridges, our executive director. Thanks, Dan. And I'm going to hand it off to Noah. So Noah will be with you for the rest. <laughs> Literally, I picked him up and then I got unmuted. It was the only time during the first 90 minutes of this meeting. Um, but at any rate, so I'm going to go slightly out of order with these uh, with these agenda items. I'm going to move the position openings uh, up to the top. Um, uh, the board approved... Uh, new positions for fiscal year 2021, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm pleased to say that we're going to begin to uh, recruit for a couple of those here in the coming weeks. Uh, however, there was a, a vacancy that took place in, in December with the departure of Claire Stanley. And um, I am very pleased uh, to invite Clark to uh, be with me here to introduce our brand new team member. Well, thanks, Eric. Hey, everyone. This is Clark. And Eric, I thought we agreed we'd never say her name again. Oh, okay. um, no, Claire's doing great, and we wish her all the best at uh, National Disability Rights Network. Uh, but time marches on. Positions need to be filled. And throughout January and here into February, Erica Keller helped us develop a, an effective plan and strategy um, and methodology for filling vacant positions. So we went through that process and uh, we extended an offer and that was accepted, geez, just this past, early this past week for our new advocacy and outreach specialist at ACB. And Swatha, I'm sorry if I get your last name wrong. Um, it, you know, it's not, <laughs> won't be the last time. I, I still have to work on my last name with people as well. So Swatha Nandikumar, welcome to ACB. Hi. So, uh, yeah, I'm Swatha Nandikumar. Um, I, um, I'm, I graduated from, from Loyola, from Loyola, Chicago, um, last year in May, um, with a with degree in, in political science. Uh, I am originally from suburbs of Chicago, and um, before that, I worked on a campaign and I worked on the center Capitol Hill in the Library of Congress and in the Senator Durham's office, and um, worked worked in nonprofit development. And um, yeah, I thought you were ACB because I. Have always been passionate about this advocacy. So yeah. Great. Okay. Uh, so what, what, what suburb of Chicago are you from? Naperville. Oh, I live. I'm, I'm, I lived. I'm sitting just northeast of there right now <laughs> in uh, Glen Ellen. It's Ray Campbell's. My name. Congratulations. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Swatha, thank you so much for joining us here today. And you're all registered and set for the DC leadership meetings and legislative seminar. Um, we'll get an announcement out to the full membership 
of ACB next week, and Swatha's first day will be March 1st. Uh, this is Dan Spoon, ACB president. Welcome, Swatha. And in, in, in tradition, we also we always give everybody a big hip hip hooray when we welcome them aboard. So, hit, one, two, three, hip hip, hip hooray! hooray. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Excited to be here. Yeah, now, now take a deep breath and, and jump into the deep end because we'll. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Back to you, Eric. All I will right. Just say, I will just say, Clark, she is closer to Minneapolis than she is to you right now. Are you, Nancy, if you give her that desk you've been promising me in the, the coat closet in Minneapolis, <laughs> I'll be very upset. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, God. All right. So... <laughs> Sounds have... like she'll fit in with no problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, she's, she's going to fit in just fine. Um, and Swatha, we, we look forward to, to having you join us on March 1st. Swatha is going to work remotely um, for a time as uh, still here in the D.C. area, there aren't any uh, in-person meetings taking place. And uh, we're going to you know, get her her technology. Uh, shipped to her and she'll be working from her home um, until such time as uh, the vaccinations are, are good to go and we begin to uh, re-enter face-to-face meetings so but the obviously the intent is as she well knows is for her to relocate here when the time is right so uh, in addition to that uh, we have been recruiting over the last three weeks for the ADP coordinator and grant writer position. And uh, uh, we have a, we've extended an offer and uh, just awaiting the pre-employment screenings that we do for all of our incoming employees uh, to be able to announce this individual um, so I'm hoping that we will be able to make an announcement on this early next week. So please stay tuned. <clears throat> and then <laughs> uh, all this stuff has happened pretty quickly, like within the last eight days or so, uh, all of these, th these three things. The third thing is that uh, on uh, Friday, uh, February 12th, we were notified by the Gibney Family Foundation that we had received a grant uh, to be able to provide support for the community events that this organization uh, has been uh, undertaking and helping to evolve over the last 11 months or so. And uh, for the purpose of being able to go and uh, hire an individual to assist Cindy Hollis in dealing with all of the uh, many logistics that this uh, community and the community platform are requiring these days. So we are excited about that. Um, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, it is, uh, it, the, the grant amount is uh, 40,000. And uh, it also, it represents a lot of great collaborative work 
within the organization between uh, Cindy, uh, as well as Tony Stevens and Joel and Bailey Page uh, to put together uh, an app, a very persuasive application. Uh, there were a couple of uh, interviews that, that we did, uh, the Gimney Foundation. We've been trying to figure out ways to, to work with them for the last few years and uh, the, the you know, explosion and goodness of the community, uh, you know, really revealed itself as, as a, a vehicle for us to engage with Gibney. So really happy. Um, congratulations to Tony and Jolyn for all of their work and bringing in, in these funds and also very happy for, for Cindy. Um, yeah, you know, also very happy that, that Belinda Collins is on board as an intern. Um, I think, you know, this is an area of our organization that, that needs uh, as many hands as it can get. And uh, to have a set of hands that are dedicated to this and not just volunteer, um, I think is very important. Uh, Eric, this is Dan. I think uh, with that, with you talking through the Give Me uh, grant money, which we had talked about with the board, but now that it is truly official, um, I think it would be appropriate for the board to make a motion and approve a position uh, for an assistant uh, under the ship, underneath the membership services coordinator to support our community events. So I will so move, make that motion, sir. So Ray has made the motion. Do I have a second? A second, Donna. Donna Brown has seconded. <coughs> okay. Um, are, is there any discussion? So the money for this grant, which is targeted for a position would be dedicated that that's where the money would go, right? Eric straight. That's correct. To this position for that amount. Okay. Yes. Thank you. All right. Uh, other discussion on this? Just remember, we need to uh, reflect that in the budget as well. We need to reflect that in the budget as well. I think, I think as more we talk through today, uh, it might be worthwhile uh, for, well, for all of these items, we'll schedule a budget uh, meeting and then a recommendation for April. Does that sound good, David? Because I think we've got two or three items here. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Thank you. Any other discussion? Hearing none, all those in favor of approving the position signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? Cindy, you want to give a cheer? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, and thank you very much. All right, and thank uh, you, Gibney Foundation. Right, first time, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. Is so, that Kim? Yes. Yes, yes go, please, Kim. Um, I just wanted to know what kind of, um, well, sort of an acknowledgement, whatever we do. Um, this, this grant has been a long time in the development phase from um, probably at least four years while I was president. So it's been a good six years. I think we've been sort of working with the Gibney Foundation. So I was really pleased to hear that um, we finally found the the niche that resonated with their foundation and in all the different kinds of things we had proposed to them over the years. So um, 
just I'm I'm sure there's a process that Tony and Jolyn have in place to yes. acknowledge and that kind of thing. But it's I think it's especially important for this one because it had so much of a a lead time for at least from my perspective of wooing and working with and that kind of thing. So it's great to know that it finally paid off. And that's often what grants, you know, seeking grants does take a lot of time sometimes. So congratulations, JoLynn and Tony. Very good. All right. Well, thank you all very much. And now I'll turn it back over to Eric to continue his uh, executive uh, director's report. You're, you're full of lots of good stuff over there, Mr. Bridges. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on, Dan. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so in addition to, to these three positions that I've just highlighted, we will begin to recruit for the administrative assistant role, which was approved by the, by the board. Uh, in the 21 budget, um, the administrative assistant for Alexandria. Uh, likely within the next week to 10 days, there'll be uh, a note uh, a position uh, announcement that goes out about that. And then uh, last but not least, the manager of communications position that's been approved by the board as well for this year. Um, that announcement will go out in likely uh, probably towards the mid part of March. Um, so I, I would like to recognize, uh, Erica Keller for all of the work, uh, that she's been doing, uh, with me, uh, but also with, uh, various members of, of the team, uh, be it Clark in, uh, you know, filling, uh, you know, doing screenings. Uh, we had over, uh, 70 applications for the, the, the advocacy and outreach specialist role, um, which I think is great. Uh, the ADP coordinator and grant writer, she worked with, with Tony very closely there, uh, putting together a process and methodology for how to, how to go through this process as we were going to be needing to, to rinse and repeat several times through the course of the first really quarter of this year. So, um, big, big thanks to Erica. I've been working with Erica on a lot of, uh, different issues. Um, and I'll tick them off as we, uh, get further down here in the agenda, but it's been very nice to have, uh, somebody that has really, uh, taken the initiative and, and exhibits our core values, uh, in, in that HR role within the organization. So, uh, let's move on. Uh, groups.io. We are there. It felt like it could take forever to get us there uh, at times. Uh, Jeff Bishop, I recall you and I talking about groups.io in 2019. And wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could transition all of our many lists to groups.io and... <clears throat> sort of thinking about it from a prioritization standpoint, the need for our digital assets to get into a more stable environment, um, to be moved off of the, the Gandhi server into Azure. That was the first part that needed to be done before we could uh, really securely um, and, and safely transition uh, our, our email lists to groups.io. And uh, would really like to thank Jeff for his his uh, his thought leadership, but also his his very obvious technical 
uh, prowess and being able to think all of this uh, through as we're, we're still dealing um, at times with uh, some uh, IT infrastructure that is in need of modernization. And uh, Jason Castingway came on last year and was very helpful with the, the migration, obviously with Jeff's leadership to, to Azure. But um, Jason really uh, took on this project of, of transitioning to groups.io uh, late, you know, in the, in the fourth quarter of last year and uh, did a tremendous job. And actually um, he, he gave me a call and let me know that he was uh, not going to engage as a, as a contractor for this year um, for, for various reasons. And I was very sad to hear that. Um, I've greatly uh, appreciated and enjoyed working with Jason over the last year and just getting to know him and how, how truly capable he is from a technical standpoint, as well as being a hell of a musician. Um, he agreed to stay on an extra month uh, for the month of January uh, to assist with the, the, uh, the migration to groups.io. And uh, I want to say January 20 in the evening, uh, we made this switch over and it went very well. When, when you do transitions of this nature and you're dealing with technology, nothing is ever perfect. And sometimes things happen that you can't ever completely account for ahead of time. But I, I think from, from my perspective and from what I've heard from many is that this this is a far better place for us to be. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot more horsepower to groups.io. There's a lot more capability uh, that, that we uh, as, a, as a national organization, but also our individual affiliates and individual members um, you know, can, can take advantage of in the months and years to come. So I'm really I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, and with Jason's departure, um, it provided an opening uh, to, to go and identify an individual that, you know, understands, uh, to a certain extent, the IT infrastructure within the organization. And also the other requirement for me was that they, they need to, they need to identify with our own values as an organization. That individual was staring me right in the face and his name is Rick Morin. And, um, this is the first time we're getting to do this, but I'd like to Welcome Rick uh, to the to the ACB team as our our technical director for ACB Radio, um, and in that role, it's it's more than just ACB Radio because Rick is now um, assumed uh, much of the leadership for Groups.io and dealing with uh, any bugs or or issues. And Rick, I'd like to welcome you to to say a, a couple words about groups.io as well as you know some of the cool things about it maybe a little bit of uh, uh, data about how many yeah. how many actual mail lists uh, transitioned over yeah. yeah I've got a few fun facts yeah cool have at it yeah thank hey Eric thank you so much for the introduction that's great I'm really happy to be on board and I, I can't say enough um, great things about Jason I mean I'm extremely fortunate to have this opportunity 
but I'm even more fortunate to have this opportunity to come in after Jason, who has done an absolutely terrific job. And to this day, uh, we call on him to do things. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm his student. Uh, he's an excellent teacher. I wish he could teach me how to play the piano, but I have no talent whatsoever. But but uh, Jason's tremendous. And of course, Jeff, you know, you can't say enough good things about Jeff. So groups.io, here's some fun facts. We've got 157 lists, 157, which was more than I think uh, people were guessing were in the bean jar at first. And um, uh, this number kind of blew my mind. Uh, in terms of unique email addresses that are subscribed to a ACB list, we have 12,283. 12,283 unique addresses. Um, now, some of those are, are ad, you know, are, are kind of in limbo, but, but uh, God, there's just, there's so much information there that if we, um, uh, it, it, you know, we ought to have an opportunity to mine some of this information somehow. So, uh, we've got about 85 moderators. Um, so, if you, Take 157 lists and 85 moderators that, you know, it, it doesn't take much to figure out that we got a bunch of lists without moderators. Uh, the goal is to have um, everybody who owns a list have a moderator on the list so that you can self-moderate the lists. One of the really, really, really cool things about Groups.io, and I think one of the things that is the best, one of the best kept secrets is just by virtue of the fact that you have that you are receiving email through groups.io, that means your email address that you're receiving the, e the email or the list uh, traffic from is an account in groups.io. So if you go to acblist.org, you'll see a sign-in uh, routine. Sign in with your email address. If it's the very first time you sign in, uh, you can ask it to send you an initial password and then you have the opportunity to reset the password in order. But, for, but from that point on, you can log into your account. And one of the very, very cool things is in one place with one sign in, you log in, you see all of the lists that you're subscribed to. And not only do you see all of the lists that you're subscribed to, but you also see the, the recent email traffic on each one of those lists. So for those of you who are complaining that there's too much traffic on a given list, you can set your personal preferences in groups.io by going into your member record. And we're going to have some community calls that are going to be teaching people how to do this. But you can actually go into your record yourself personally and say, I'm going to turn off email and I'm going to look at stuff either in a digest mode or I'm only going to look at it on my account. So there, there's a whole bunch of options in terms of how you can manage uh, email. And you have a lot more control yourself. If you're a moderator, I, I know that there's a lot of moderators out there that are very frustrated at the moment because, um, it, it uh, the, you know, there's a couple of tricks on, on how to moderate stuff. And I'm going to be focusing first on trying to get moderators some, some training. But I will tell you, if you're a moderator, if you log in, you know, and see that you have an MOD next to your name on one of the lists, that means you're a moderator of that list. And the trick to being a moderator is 
go into the admin function and under the admin function, go to members. And then if you play around, you'll be, I, I think you'll be able to figure a lot of stuff out on your own. I already did. Yeah. And isn't it cool, Ray? It, it is cool. Um, a little different um, uh, than that. And, you know, I, I look forward to getting a little training because I'm sure there are some tricks I haven't figured out yet. But yeah. um, I had someone that uh, wanted to join uh, one of our ICB lists and I went in and figured out how to invite them and um, voila, they're there. So, yeah, it, 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 it's, it, it's really great. Uh, you know, so. Yeah, thank you, Ray, for that. Kelly Gask um, is uh, moderating a bunch of lists, and I, I added her as a moderator to a whole bunch of lists, but I didn't tell her that when I did that, she was going to start getting email from all these lists. So she came in Monday morning uh, saying, uh, I, 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 my, my mailbox is full. So um, anyways, that that was kind of funny. But anyways, um, but but even with that, you can go up at the top level. You can go up to your member record at the very top level, and you can turn off all email for all lists if that's what you want to do on a temporary basis while you sort stuff out. So you have that ability, too. So that, that's it for now, Eric. I, I can keep going on this for a long time. But one of the key things is community calls are going to be coming up. We're going to have this whole series of them. Um, where we'll, you know, we'll do part of it, a little bit of a teaching exercise, but also dialogue with folks because I'm sure everybody's going to have experience and have a lot of questions. And uh, but the thing I would encourage everybody to do right off the bat is go to your account and go check that out. And I think you're going to like what you see. Thanks. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate it. And uh, in the month of December, Jason put out uh, three separate email uh, emails over constant contact. This sort of laid out the the uh, the member, the moderator role, and also uh, just the fact that we were going to be moving. And in that particular email, there were a lot of very helpful links embedded in, in that message as well for uh, getting getting better acquainted with Groups.io. So, very good. Let's see. Uh, engaging with Lathrop GPM and uh, Rosie McNamara. Um, some of this has been talked about. Uh, we had the, as part of our workshop last night, the training that Rosie provided uh, dealing with uh, sexual misconduct prevention as well as anti-discrimination uh, and, and various laws. And um, I, you know, I for one, uh, you know, want to, um, to, to thank the leadership team for their support um, and, and also the, the board for approving uh, me to go out and engage uh, with firms to, to seek uh, training of this sort. Um, we interviewed uh, three firms uh, to get a better handle on sort of the universe of this training, what it costs, uh, you know, and, and sort of the, the, the flavors of it. And uh, the, the person that worked most closely with me on, on this and engaged these firms to get uh, meetings and proposals was Erica Keller. There she is again. Um, and, and Nancy also uh, was an active participant as well uh, as we sort of narrowed down what we thought uh, 
we needed for this sort of first round. Um, so, you know, what, what took place last night, I, I don't envision that being a sort of a one and done. Um, do I envision us annually having somebody come to speak? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But there are definite self-directed activities on an annual basis um, that, that the board and, and uh, employees uh, need to be uh, sort of recertified on. Uh, I think that that's important. It's an important practice for us to start. Um, as I indicated last night at the end of uh, the call with Rosie, uh, we have engaged her in a, uh, with a contract to uh, provide us some unconscious bias training uh, in the last quarter of this year. So um, we'll we'll figure out what time best works for everybody uh, around a, a board meeting to do that. But I, I do think that that's an important uh, piece of our continuing, uh, shall we say, education in the in this arena. So. Um, Lathrop GPM has been, uh, you know, we've we've been a client of theirs for over a decade, a uh, myriad of different issues, and uh, they've been great to work with and always very professional, uh, a lot like what you heard last night from Rosie. So, um, any questions about any of that? Okay. The last... Thing on the list here is uh, performance evaluations under EOS. So as we began to implement EOS last year, it became apparent to me that um, the sort of the, the cadence, the quarterly cadence that, that EOS um, really sort of drives into an organization, your, your quarterly rocks, how are you doing? Are you on track? Are you off track? How do you get on track if you're off track with your your big projects? Um, I I began really wondering about the performance management component of this, and if we could transition to something that looked like the EOS uh, sort of cadence for performance management. And uh, had a meeting with Lee Nasahi, who's our. Uh, What's her technical term? The integrator, implementer uh, for EOS. And uh, EOS uh, has put together a performance management system. And it, and it tracks with the quarterly rock um, cadence where uh, at the end of each quarter for three quarters, <clears throat> supervisors meet with their folks, their direct reports, to check in, to talk through um, progress, to figure out, you know, where the problem areas are, and if there are problem areas, how to how to deal with that. Um, and then at the end of the year, the the fourth, what would be the fourth quarterly meeting, is the actual annual review, where you know it is a, a more formal uh, assessment of the employees. Uh, performance through the course of the of the previous year. So, um, the first step in this process, as I uh, began to get interested, and then uh, you know, again, um, working with Erica very closely, 
the first step in this process was to review all of the existing position descriptions within the organization to ensure that they uh, accurately uh, described what the employee was doing in that in that role, and so uh, that took, uh, gosh, probably a month or so to to complete that process. Um, and and by the way, it was a it was a very constructive process. It it really allowed time uh, for me and, and Erica to, uh, in particular for me, since Erica is so new. Uh, she joined us in August uh, for me to to better understand how some of our positions have really evolved since we've hired these individuals. The position descriptions uh, were not irrelevant, but there were chunks of things that needed to be modified um, to more accurately uh, reflect what what the individual's uh, roles and responsibilities are today. So, uh, and then in January. Uh, mid mid January, we we got together and had a kickoff of this. Uh, you know, we put together uh, read ahead documents and had about an hour long meeting with all the staff to to talk through all of this. And uh, Dan was there as well for that. And uh, the uh, first check in for this will come uh, the last week of March, first week of of April. So. That's really the the next sort of uh, milestone in this uh, rock. This is a rock of mine. It's a it'll be a uh, a year long rock. All right. Um, I think. I think that's pretty much what I've got, Dan. So, Thank you, so Eric. This is, and and sure. it, it was a lot. And it, was that Jeff who had a comment? Yeah. Yep, yeah I'd like Jeff. to get in the queue. Yeah, um, so following up on, on that, Eric, and, um, you know, best board practice is also to have a board evaluation of the executive director. And one can say, well, we don't need one now because we've got a great executive director. But really now is the best time to institute the practice before you run into a situation where you may really need to do it. So I, I think we need to think about um, putting into um, our toolkit a, a board evaluation of our executive director. Um, Jeff, this is Dan, and I agree, you know, we we traditionally have had just the president give the formal review, and I think that's still in place. But I right. do think there's real value in just having, um, you know, I sit on a couple of other boards, and we go through a similar process. And I think it's good. It just it's it's good kind of like 360 feedback that you really get uh, a feeling of you know um, you know uh, helping our helping our executive director. So I do think. Uh, perhaps that's something we should look at doing uh, again through uh, Lee could probably help us with this as well as perhaps even uh, Rosie as we move forward. So, um, and Erica, but I think that would be a good practice for us to put in place. We need to do two things. We need to do on a very uh, much more uniform basis, uh, board self-assessments as well. 
Yep. Uh, Nancy walked us through that. One of those, I think, what now probably three or four years ago. So it's amazing how time flies. We really should need to, we should be doing those at least by biannually. And then, um, and then we also, I think would be good to have uh, executive director um, board feedback each year. So I'll take that as a, uh, a friendly suggestion to see what we can do to, to put that in place. Yeah, thank you. And it's a lot, like you say, when we have a really uh, executive director, everybody is very happy with is a good time to do it as opposed to when you're, you're on the other end of that spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yep. Um, awesome. Eric, great report. Thank you, well, sir. Well, thank you. And I will, uh, I'll hand it off to Clark Rockfall. Thank you so much, Eric. And hello again to everyone on ACB Radio and during this ACB board meeting. This is your advocacy update. Uh, <laughs> jumping right in here, uh, we have accessible voting. So back in 2020 and even beginning in 2019, ACB worked with, uh, quick math, more than 25 of our state affiliates to expand access to accessible voting, primarily accessible absentee voting. I provided an update on this at the fall board meeting, how in five states, this meant electronic accessible absentee voting that included return of the ballot. And in more than 20 states, this meant electronic access to absentee voting uh, where you still had to print, sign, and mail return the ballot. Uh, this work is ongoing. I know I've spoken in the last month or so, probably with five or six state affiliates. Um, some of the reasons are that the gains from 2020 were temporary, only focusing on the 2020 election. Um, the the parties involved agreed in the court on a preliminary injunction settlement so they could get past the immediacy of the fall election and then let the broader case proceed um, you know, on the merits and on, on a longer timeline. So because we are past the fall election, elections, um, those cases are underway including the cases that ACB is involved with in New York, Virginia, Indiana, uh, other cases in Michigan, Pennsylvania are also proceeding. In addition to this, uh, a state where a preliminary junction was not in place, but where a uh, settlement with the state was reached includes the great work of the Florida Council of the Blind. And at least one ACB uh, board member and member of the Florida Council is represented on a statewide commission to implement a solution for election accessibility. Many other states are looking at how to grapple with this issue. Uh, some are looking at legislation. Others are looking at using existing administrative authority. And in other states still, uh, there is the belief that there was widespread and rampant voter fraud in the 2020 elections due to emergency orders expanding voting access for all voters. 
Um, and in these circumstances, uh, a lot of access to absentee voting, whether accessible or otherwise, are being rolled back. Uh, so it's our affiliates are doing the best they can, working with the uh, voting voting rights community, cross disability community, to uh, protect and expand upon the gains that we made in 2020. On the federal level, there is renewed attention to voting rights and voting access. So the first bills introduced in the House and the Senate, HR1 and S1, are broad uh, voting rights reform. However, the cross-disability community, there are provisions that we like in these bills, but there is a glaring uh, problem with this legislation. And that is that it includes a strict paper ballot mandate. And no matter how you cut it, uh, small prints on a paper ballot with wet ink is inaccessible for many of our members and for many other people in the cross disability community. Um, so as it stands now, it's looking like this legislation does not have the votes it would need to pass the Senate. Um, you know, it's not going to be able to be included in a budget reconciliation package. It won't be able to pass on a simple majority vote with the vice president as a tiebreaker, uh, meaning that 60 votes would be needed to be able to pass this legislation. And currently those votes do not exist. Um, also, it's not just because they would have to get 10 additional Republicans to support this leg legislation, uh, but however, ACB last year worked uh, very hard and closely with the Mountain State Council of the Blind and the state legislature legislature as well as the governor in West Virginia to allow for electronic ballot delivery completion and return for voters with disabilities throughout the entire state of West Virginia. Uh, so we're, we're hoping that Senator Manchin would also be someone does that who does not want to support legislation that would uh, roll back the voting access that their constituents have. Uh, also on this topic, we do have a, a great voting lineup for the legislative seminar. So Monday, February 22nd, beginning at 4 p.m., we will have a presentation from the vice chair of the Election Assistance Commission, and he's actually the incoming chair of the commission, although we won't be able to introduce him that way on Monday, uh, Commissioner Donald Palmer will join us as well as the two primary researchers from Rutgers U University who conducted an election accessibility survey and compiled a report for the Election Assistance Commission showing that how it, although voting access has improved since HAVA and since the last time this report was done eight years ago, that voters who are blind or with visual impairments lag behind other voters in voting access and independence, as well as seniors with disabilities lag behind able-bodied seniors. 
um, in the general population with voting access. Following that presentation, we have a panel of local election officials from Florida, Utah, and Oregon, all of which who had to implement measures, uh, emergency measures to expand voting access. So we'll get their stories on the ground, how they did it, barriers they encountered, and opportunities to expand upon these efforts going forward. Uh, not only for the pandemic, but for natural disasters as well. I know this was a big hurricane season. And in the Northwest, this is a, a very big fire season. So we'll get to hear how that has impacted uh, election accessibility. Any questions on voting access? Uh, Clark, this is Dan. I also wanted to mention that the other thing that uh, accessible mail-in voting did for us, I think, is it allowed us to kind of um, regenerate or continue to grow a relationship with NFB where uh, yourself and Eric and I met with uh, Mark Riccobono and John Perret a couple of times on accessible mail-in balloting, and several of our affiliates really uh, joined together between ACB and NFB uh, on different uh, class action suits uh, related to accessible voting. That's right, Dan. And, and not only in the states where uh, we joined together to advocate with one voice in, in New York and Virginia, uh, but in other states, uh, the conversations were open and ongoing, uh, whether or not uh, the two organizations eventually pursued the same path. There was consultation in there um, because we all want the same thing, right? We all want our members and people who are blind to have greater access to exercise their democratic right to vote. Most certainly. And then I think I heard Kim. Yes. Yes. And put me after was, Kim, please. And then Ray. I was okay. just going to say, Clark, that um, unfortunately, Massachusetts is also in the same boat as many of those other states that you listed in that the legislation that was passed and then the court orders that we won in both the primary and for the general election only apply to 2020. So we are now in the process of figuring out what we have to do to make it a permanent implementation. So our attorneys believe that it shouldn't be that difficult to make it permanent, but we have to do it. So, so we're doing the same thing. So. Thanks, Kim. And Ray? Yeah, I just wanted to say um, <clears throat> that um, I wanted to publicly say and thank, uh, well, formerly Claire and now Clark, for being on the meetings that we've been having here in Illinois regarding implementing. We had the same problem too, Kim, that the legislation was only temporary and now we're looking to implement something permanent. And Clark has uh, been a, a stellar representative working with us. Uh, NFB uh, tends to bring a lot of people to these meetings uh, from their national side of things. And we certainly like to have our national uh, government affairs director as part of uh, these meetings as well. And so thank you, Clark, for being uh, part of those and uh, for helping us uh, as we start to move the ball forward uh, here in Illinois to hopefully some permanent solutions. Well, yeah, thanks, thank Ryan. And my, my only wish is that it is, uh, you know, it was uniform across every state. There's, it's in fits and starts throughout the entire country. And I know there are some folks who are upset that we can't do more in their, in their states. Um, so 
you know, we'll, we'll continue to work with everyone throughout this process. And this is Dan one more time. And it truly is still a very, very, uh, of course, important topic. Just in the last week or two, I've had conversations with folks from Missouri, folks from Texas and folks from Georgia uh, with Alice, all kind of looking at how do they kind of take that next steps towards accessible uh, mail-in balloting. So, uh, All right. Next item. Uh, this will also be featured during the legislative seminar. Um, so, folks, I'm sure are familiar that the Department of Transportation issued their final rule on air travel with service animals. That was issued in December. It went to the Federal Register and became effective on January 11th. And the ACB National Office, as well as our special interest affiliate, Guide Dog Users Incorporated, and our experts within the transportation committee and environmental access committees are monitoring this very closely. We've been in communication on the implementation with the Department of Transportation, the Office of Aviation Consumer Affairs. We've provided feedback on the creation of the accessible uh, DOT written attestation forms that I, <laughs> I know nobody is a fan of. Um, unfortunately, these are included in the final rule. So right now our focus is making the process as smooth as possible. So looking forward to the legislative <laughs> seminar on Monday, beginning at 1.15 Eastern, we will have three representatives from the DOT Office of uh, Aviation Consumer Affairs to talk about the work that they're doing on implementing this final rule on air travel with service animals, uh, as well as other provisions for passenger and service animal safety from the Department of Transportation. Uh, they also just issued guidance for mandatory masking um, on planes as well. And following that panel with DOT, Sarah Calhoun and Sheila Styron will be moderating a conversation with representatives from four major airlines, um, Alaska, American, Delta, and United, to talk with them. Uh, because there's a lot of flexibility in these rules. Um, the rules kind of set up the, the guardrails on what the airlines are allowed to require from passengers. So that's also a, a sense of frustration along with the unknown is we don't know what each airline will be doing and how they will be doing it. So this is our opportunity for uh, great advocates like Sarah and Sheila to uh, moderate this conversation, but also for members to provide feedback. And it's a good opportunity for the, the airlines to share as well as the airlines to listen to the concerns of our members on where they find information, how accessible it is, not only related to service animals, but also you know, traveling in an airport or on a plane. You know, if we are staying six feet apart, how do we uh, receive assistance or a sighted guide? So I, I think that'll be a, a great conversation and discussion. Clark? Yes. Um, this is Katie. 
I saw that um, Southwest will be implementing a form on starting March 1st, I believe. Um, so I think they've now joined the, uh, the ranks of, of the airlines. Okay. Our last holdout, the initially yeah. Southwest was going to be the one that right. was not going to do a form. Yeah. So I'm, I'm traveling that. in March and I was uh, kind of sad to see that, but yeah. Yeah. I, the, the one, and thanks for sharing that Katie. And as this process plays out, uh, DOT is very interested to receive uh, consumer feedback. Um, so I, I would encourage folks to share their experiences with ACB. And if it's a, uh, you know, just a downright horrible experience and you feel that your rights were violated to file a complaint directly with the Department of Transportation. Um, they are proactively communicating with the airlines. Um, they're looking to communicate and fix problems right now because the rule is new more than they are looking to enforce penalties on the airlines. Um, and with that said, Due to the feedback that we've provided, not only on the accessibility of the form, but that is certainly improved. Um, but DOT has also offered guidance to the airlines. One of the concerns that our uh, guide dog handlers raised in the written attestation was the use of the service animal's name. And although the name is still required on the form, uh, DOT is providing guidance to the airlines that that is not to be used. Um, they are not to address the animal, only the handler. Uh, and that's for safety reasons for the handler. So they don't inadvertently give a command uh, to the to the animal. All right. Um, if there are no other questions on uh, uh, aviation, we now have other. Um, and the, the, the big others that I have, well, we already heard from Swatha earlier today, and we're excited for her to hit the ground running and uh, officially join us March 1st. But before then, we have the legislative seminar uh, we are fully embracing ACB's core value of flexibility. And we decided, you know, <laughs> because folks don't have hotels and flights, why do in one day what we could do over two days? But if we have two days, let's make it bigger and better in every way. So a, a quick count. I counted uh, two days, 17 sessions, and over 40 unique participants uh, as moderators or panelists during this year's legislative seminar. And that's not counting the community events, the legislative imperative community events that have already been archived and are available on the websites as podcasts, um, the president's meetings, which many folks here have attended as well. So uh, Eric, there's a, uh, we're going to go back to one day next year, right? Yeah, I thought we were trying to do that this year, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, might be, uh, we might be going to three. One never knows. No, just kidding. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, but oh. seriously, just uh, Clark and uh, you 
you've had to take this lead with, uh, you know, without a wing person here over these last few months. So thank you so much for all that you've done. It's been absolutely spectacular. And also uh, uh, reach out and thanks to the Advocacy Steering Committee, mm-hmm. the volunteers who stepped up. But together, the team has just done an absolutely uh, fabulous job. So thank you. Thank you. You said it, Dan. The, the Advocacy Steering Committee has been a, a great uh, support network sounding board. And you'll hear and see many of their smiling faces as panelists and moderators in the next week. Um, and there are also a few community events to build upon the work of the legislative seminar as well. And also a big thank you to uh, ACB staff who has really pitched in and helped me get through this, this first quarter. Thank you, Clark. Thank you. All right. Kelly Gask. Yay. Guess what I'm eating. Guess what I'm eating. Is it something sweet? It's, or- it's carbs. I'm eating jalapeno cornbread. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Yeah. I just had a bagel, so I'm with <laughs> yeah, you. There you go. As you know, yes. always that actually carbs. sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> this is a carb gang over here. <laughs> Indeed. Um, okay, so I'm just going to get right into it. Uh, there's a couple different topics that I'm going to touch on today. Uh, the first of which is about um, SEO, which is uh, search engine optimization. Um, essentially, SEO is the, the practice of increasing the quantity and quality of traffic uh, to your website. So we want to make sure that um, through Google's uh uh, search results, um, organic search results, I should mention. So this is not ads, but this is something that that pops up organically when you look for ACB-related terms. We want to make sure that we have a lot of people uh, directed to our site. And we also want to make sure that the people who are directed to our site are the right kind of people. We're, we're attracting visitors who um, have a, a genuine interest in what we have to offer. Um, so a couple months back, we had a meeting. Um, one of our advisory board members put us in touch with um, some of his marketing folks, and we got some initial feedback on how to start the SEO process. Um, so uh, they helped us provide provide us with some initial steps. And um, the good thing that we found out is that um, you know Google really does prioritize sites that have. Um, have uh, uh, that are very accessible and easy to navigate. Uh, essentially, Google will have um, a bot crawl your site, and if the bot can get through your site easily, um, it, it'll. It, so it's like you know, if it run ran into any accessibility issues, you would you would show up lower in the rankings. So. Obviously, accessibility is a huge thing for us. We want to make sure that our website is accessible for anyone with any sort of disability. Um, so that's something that you know we're continuing to look at to make sure everything we have on the website is accessible as possible. But there's also other elements that have to do with SEO. One of them is is keywords. These are like these key search terms that you can incorporate into your web pages. And we are actually working with Mount Vernon Consulting. Uh, Kate Vendimio, who is awesome, and we have worked with her in the past, is doing uh, some SEO work. Uh, looking for different keywords that we can utilize, and she's also going to be conducting an SEO audit to like provide analysis on, um, you know, different uh, top reporting social media posts, 
um, so we can identify some keyword trends. Uh, and this is something too. our last meeting with the public awareness committee, we actually had Kate come on and she was asking for feedback from the group about, you know, what, what would you, if you were trying to find something like ACB, let's say you don't know who ACB is, what would you be looking for when you did your Google search? Would it be, you know, blindness resources or blind community, things like that. So if anybody has any suggestions for keywords that you think we should utilize, you can always email them to me. Um, another project that uh, I am working on, and uh, Kate Vendimio is also helping out with this a little bit, is um, establishing a process for other steering committees to uh, work with the public awareness committee so we can really promote uh, their needs. Uh, we've put together an editorial calendar that kind of maps out the biggest events throughout the year, but we want to make sure that there is an easy process. So let's say the audio description project steering committee has um, like a contest coming up or an important announcement coming up. So we can have an easy way for them to uh, submit that content to us. And so that it's not being emailed directly to my inbox. Because one thing that I've noticed is everybody in ACB notices is that um, I get a ton of emails. So it'll be nice to have them a little bit separate. So it's not just, you know, cluttering my email inbox and um, it'll make it easier for us to work with the other steering committees. So we're continuing to work on that. That is, um, uh, a goal for this quarter for us to come up with the process. So we're looking at a number of different ideas um, and it will, um, you know, we will be using our editorial calendar and this will allow us to map out our most notable announcements in advance um, and communicate everything in a timely manner too. Cause right now we're just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. You know, we want to have a little bit of planning in there makes it easier for everybody. Um, just to update about the ACB conversation list, I know we, we spoke about this last time, um, but we, we've been working with the Board of Publications um, and the Public Awareness Steering Committee, uh, along with Deb and Katie and myself, to uh, search for moderators for the new list. So uh, the Board of Publications actually interviewed uh, a number of applicants um, that sent their applications to us after we sent an announcement out through Constant Contact. We got a lot of really good applicants. There was a lot of cool people that were applying to become moderators. So um, uh, the Board of Publications selected two moderators, and we're going to be providing training for those moderators We'll also be providing training for um, the ACB conversation list members to learn about the purpose and guidelines of the list. And uh, we are on schedule to launch ACB conversation in late March. So stay tuned. Um, that is going to be a fun new list and hopefully we'll get a lot of conversation on it. Um, so additionally, you know, social media is kind of my thing. And um, I was looking at data over the last year. Um, you know, uh, this past, or I'm sorry, in February of 2020, we had uh, 4,754 Facebook page likes. We are now at 5,278. Um, we also had, uh, oh, excuse me, we actually have 5,942 Facebook followers because there are, you can get likes or follows on your page, uh, which will actually be changing soon. I think they're actually moving just to follows on pages, Facebook pages. And then last year, uh, around this time, we had about 2,990 Twitter followers, and we are actually up to 3,695 Twitter followers as of today. So it's one of our most quickly growing uh, social media channels, and 
uh, it's a nice way for us to communicate with our with our folks. Um, although I have to learn to not be so wordy because it's short little tweets. Um, we're at 1,235 Facebook community group members. So that's our not our Facebook page, but our group for the community to, to talk with one another. And, you know, if you're not a member of our community group, I would definitely encourage you to join. There's some really cool resources that are shared. Um, you know, people ask general questions. Uh, it's just a, it's a really neat group. There's a lot of interesting posts that go out over that. Um, and then um, we were at th 367 YouTube subscribers. And um, uh, as you know, some of you may remember, uh, last October, we did a CVAA event and we got a video from Stevie Wonder, um, which was put out over Twitter and uh, Tim Cook from Apple and actually ended up retweeting it, which was one of the most interesting moments of my life. It was pretty awesome. And um, that tweet ended up gaining uh, 68,226 impressions. So that means that many people saw the tweet. And then it also got 1,151 engagements. So that's people interacting with the tweet, liking it, retweeting it. Um, so uh, we uh, on Facebook, we did a bunch of live video last year during convention. Those were definitely uh, had the highest reach out of any of our, our posts over social media. Um, there, uh, the session from July 10th, uh, 2020 reached, uh, 4,541 people and our banquet reached over 3,500 people. Um, so this is, was a really great way for us to utilize our virtual conference to reach out to new people. Um, cause a lot of people saw it and we broadcast every single day over on um, Facebook live. However, as we found, uh, Facebook Live is not always accessible for everybody. Some people don't like Facebook Live. Uh, some people don't have Facebook accounts and they don't care to have Facebook accounts. Um, so, you know, we had started looking into YouTube Live and then um, kind of thinking about it from a big picture, we said, well, why don't we do both Facebook Live and YouTube Live? So we've started utilizing something called a restream. Uh, Restream is a multi-stream aggregator. So basically, it allows us to broadcast live videos to multiple social media channels at the same time. So we've um, uh, currently, we have our Facebook community group hooked up to that platform. We've also got our Facebook page and our YouTube page. Um, it is incredibly easy to broadcast live over this platform. You just need to plug the information into Zoom and then just hit a button. Uh, before, when we were trying to go live over Facebook, uh, it was just really complicated. And um, it just, it, it caused a lot of uh, hiccups, <laughs> which is when you're going live, you just want it to be easy peasy. Um, so we're currently using Zoom as our live video feed uh, to broadcast live over these channels. Um, but they also have something that's called Restream Live Studio, which is um, really neat. Uh, it would allow us to utilize like a number of different features, uh, personalized text banners, branded graphics. Uh, you can control the way that the videos display on the screen, like have like a big video at the top and little videos of all the other panelists at the bottom. And um, there's also a chat function that aggregates all the comments from all the platforms that you're streaming over. And you can just either respond to it or you can actually put it on the screen. Um, so there's a lot of really neat things that we can do with that. So we're looking into that more. And we've utilized uh, 
restream a couple different times now. We've done, um, I think we've done two videos over um, all of our all of our pages. Uh, one of which was uh, last week, if I remember correctly. I think it was last week. It could have been the week before. It's been a, a busy couple weeks, but um, we did, we actually took our advocacy update podcast. And we broadcast it live with video. Um, we uh, the subject that we did it on was our scholarship program uh, because you know our scholarship uh, application deadline was coming up. So um, that post, uh, that live broadcast, ended up reaching uh, over two thousand people um, on Facebook. It also reached a number of people on YouTube as well. And we got a ton of applicants for our. Um, our scholarship program. So this is really a way for us not only to professionalize what our streams look like, but also be able to uh, extend our reach and broadcast over as many platforms as possible. So it's definitely something that we will be using in the future uh, for convention. We're going to be using it throughout the leadership conference. And um, oh, one note, we actually went into the back end of it. Uh, Tony and I were working on it and it is actually pretty accessible with a screen reader. There's a couple little things that they could they could do to just better the user experience, but uh, we just wanted to make sure that it was accessible for everybody on the team. So it's a really good tool, a really exciting tool. And um, we also, uh, it also lets you use a widget uh, that you can embed on your website. So if you go to acb.org slash live, uh, you can watch our live video there too. So lots of fun stuff. Um, does anybody have any questions? Okay. Kelly, I just want to say <laughs> fantastic. I, lot, lots of great stuff. So thank you. Thank you for all your hard work. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. God, I got a question for Kelly. When does she sleep? <laughs> not very much recently but yeah. <laughs> i do get it in there sometimes okay and, and when does anybody of, on the team sleep yeah, oh my I know, right? yeah. And, and a lot of what kelly does involves video which is very important to a large portion of the acb population so thank you kelly yeah no problem awesome well thank you kelly and uh why don't we move next to tony stevens All right, thanks, Eric. Good afternoon, everybody. I think it's still, well, good morning for still for a couple of folks on our West Coast. Uh, I hope everybody's doing well. I'm gonna be sharing just a few things uh, in addition to what was shared in the uh, board report um, that you all hopefully had a chance to read through. Um, if not, hopefully you can have a chance to dive into it. Happy to entertain any questions as well. Uh, we've had an exciting couple of weeks. Eric had uh, shared some of the good news that, you know, had been real hard for Jolene, and I'll let her uh, take all the glory for that in a couple of minutes. Um, but we have been uh, moving forward in terms of, uh, of, of some grants. Uh, a couple of things I'm going to be talking with you all today. Uh, first is the health and wellness program and where we are sort of with that. And a lot of folks have been hearing a bit about that. And, uh, and a number of folks on the board as well have been participating in some of the activities. Uh, then we'll be talking a little bit about the end of year campaign and our transition over into digital media and some of the basic fundraising opportunities. And then finally, uh, giving an update on our communications plan and where that stands and how we've retained our contractor, which was in the budget, and uh, where things stand with that. And hopefully folks can tune in tomorrow uh, to Kelly's session because she's working hard uh, on the conference, but also working hard on, on, a, on a good panel tomorrow as well that's going to outline 
major deliverable for that communications plan. In terms of the health and wellness campaign, because that's where a lot of our grants, and Jill Lynn can share a little bit more information in terms of you know, breakdowns if anybody has any questions. But, uh, you know, we've, we've uh, re- rebranded what has been called the grant pipeline into what we're now calling the grants power grid. Uh, basically, it's, it's a grid or a spreadsheet, if you will, that really breaks down in, in, in the greater granularity uh, where we are with a large amount of our funders and finding opportunities uh, in the research we've been doing over the past year with foundations uh, to, to see what we are doing in areas that we sort of have easily low-hanging fruit and work that Clark and programs and things Cindy's doing and other stuff uh, that align with where a lot of foundations are focusing their efforts, uh, foundations around the country and corporations as well, and sort of their corporate giving and philanthropy have really been uh, focused on the pandemic as well as health and wellness issues. And in terms of equity, that's obviously a large part of the conversations everyone knows from our uh, panel, uh, you know, for those on the board that were part of the the meeting last evening. Uh, The health and wellness campaign is growing into what we're calling the get up and get moving. Uh, This is something that we are currently really trying to to rein in a scope uh, on some real concrete deliverables because we've had really good success in reaching out to our corporate partners. I'd uh, be happy to share some of those offline with folks if you'd like to know um, that, that, are, that are getting enthusiastic and excited uh, and looking forward to working with us and have expressed that already. Uh, but it's trying to find out, okay, uh, we're gaining and garnering some corporate support and people are uh, looking forward to a program that really focuses on the essential mission of the campaign or the primary chief goal of the campaign is once we come out of isolation, because we all know we will, my wife's going to walk in the door any second now with her second jab in her arm. So we're excited. We got one vaccine in the house here, at least done, taken care of. Um, But in terms of when we all know where we'll be hopefully in six months, uh, we don't have a crystal ball, but there's a good sense that we will be able to get out of our houses. Uh, It gives us an excellent opportunity to tap into a larger public uh, health and health and wellness initiative, particularly around our brothers and sisters in the diabetic community. We've been working over the past several months on diabetic issues. Some folks may know during Diabetic Awareness Month, that was in November, we had a series of podcasts and other items, a webinar and things like that. And then we had our Site Tech Global Conference that focused in on health and wellness uh, and, and really the challenges that come and as well, how we can be liberated with our technology and take back our health. So the thrust of the campaign is to basically do just that. How can we leverage technology to take back our health, to get up and get moving uh, so that we can combat and battle against so many of the other things that are unfortunately side effects of those who are blind and visually impaired, who, you know, are oftentimes feeling like they're prisoners of their own health, trapped on their couches, not getting out. We're looking to do two events uh, currently is where we've been researching and garnering support and uh, amongst uh, potential partners in New York City and San Francisco. And the latter half of the year, we could probably, depending on bandwidth, add on a third city, currently looking at Atlanta as an option for that. This is partly a part of the campaign is to focus on equity, giving people, you know, we talked in conversations with the board over the past 24 hours in diversity and inclusion, and how can we ingrade greater uh, populations. We're looking at three major urban areas and focusing in on diabetes, as these are key areas that are really impacting communities of color. And we, we have a strong sense that Hopefully this campaign can engage people and we can give them the space and the platform uh, to be empowered themselves, uh, to have their own voice to speak on behalf of themselves, even within our own communities as, as, you know, those who are blind and visually impaired. So we're looking in these areas. They're very strategic, partly because of partners, uh, because of our bandwidth and what we can do. 
And then as well, uh, you know, in terms of the populations for potential, as we talk about communications and, and, and reaching out and really expanding the reach of ACB to people that don't even know we exist yet, uh, that are in the blind and visually impaired community. Again, I remind people, you know, we have over 4.2 million Americans um, over the age of 18 who are severely visually impaired, legally blind or totally blind. Uh, so we know we still have great opportunities for significant growth. Uh, moving on to the direct mail end of year campaign. One thing we know is, is talked about in the budget conversations is we have moved from, uh, you know, the, the, the cost of direct mail with the return on investment, uh, you know, has not been seen as the greatest in recent years. There's been so many improvements and opportunities in online giving. And this was even before uh, myself coming in uh, to the organization, you know, a, a general effort in looking toward ways to engage online donor with what Tom was sort of helping set up Tom Tobin with the steering committee and then, you know, really stepped into that and was able to run with it this past year. We did our first online giving campaign, which ran in tandem with the direct mail. We still mailed out 1,818 letters to people with a story uh, with Roger Dennis, who some folks might know from the ACB community, who's been very involved running the widow widowers group. Uh, but we did a feature story on, on uh, Roger as sort of a hybrid ACB, uh, you know, uh, inside ACB as well as a direct mail. Uh, ask for people to uh, consider making a donation. Uh, that was dropped the first, second week, right at the first part of the second week of December. Plenty of time in Christmas, everybody might say themselves. Um, I didn't get mine till my birthday. Well, in the January, a lot of people haven't even gotten theirs for a couple of weeks. That was due primarily because uh, bulk mail was significantly impacted, as all mail was, as folks know, uh, around the pandemic, still sort of stemming after the elections. Um, but as well, in terms of just the, the complex issues that the, the mail and postal service has been dealing with the, the, the pandemic. For that reason, I apologize. I don't have a concrete number on our appeals uh, on the direct mail side. I've been assured that they have been coming in and they've been coming in pretty regularly recently and sort of a surge of, of mail as they finally get delivered over the past several weeks to people around the country. And uh, so the number I share when we say that we've raised from that campaign, though, over $12,000, and that was overwhelmingly uh, at this point on the online giving side. We're using a crowdfunding source through our Donor Perfect now, uh, which allows for easy online giving transactions. Um, we had good feedback and response from people. There's a couple of tech issues. We're still trying to isolate and figure out why some people maybe are still having issues with its user error or interface or uh, other technology, but, but by at large, uh, a large chunk of that was tied to Cindy's community-a-thon with the community group that she and her team helped steer. We raised over $10,700 for that. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways, uh, we're really seeing that there's great potential that exists in the online giving space. And in reconfiguring our direct mail as well, my hope is we'll, we'll once we're able to go through data, just based on what I've been hearing coming in from Minneapolis, um, you know, that we'll be able to, to have a greater return on our investment, even for the direct mail letters. A number of those direct mail letters were also going to the to the online giving page, which was a similar crowdfunding page. Um, you know, the, the crowdfunding page is, is something that, that we can use and leverage moving forward. We're going to be doing another online campaign only. Uh, this will focus online in April, and that's our next one. We're going to be looking to do these quarterly during the year. Uh, but what we're excited about is, uh, you know, hopefully having a chance for you all, the board, um, I'll be providing some information for you to find out ways that you can easily set up your own crowdfunding page. It's a very easy, sort of accessible way uh, to help spread the word. The more we spread the word, uh, even just through general social media, 
it's, it's this culmination and we saw it with the crowdfunding and then most recently, good news that I'll let Debbie really share some good news when she gives her ACB radio update, but we did a similar uh, setup with the crowdfunding for uh, ACB radio and had very good success. And Debbie can share that in a little while, but uh, you know, it, it's a very easy way to give. And, and that's the key for online giving. How can we make it as easy as people can to give? And we're finding out that, you know, that bell curve uh, is, is becoming much wider on the bottom by the simple uh, $25, $50, $10 gifts that people can make easily online. And as we continue, as Kelly was talking about growing our social media network and we bring in a communications manager, uh, you know, our expectation is this will begin to grow as our numbers grow. And so you'll see this trending as we continue to grow our, our footprint and our, our uh, you know, basically our reach as we talk about our media reach. Um, in that sense, I'd like to just transition now to our communications plan because, again, this is going to be key in driving, you know, these online giving campaigns as well, ways that we can push ourselves towards, uh, you know, expanding our footprint to that reach of not just the 4.2 million or the even more than that when we talk about people that are, you know, concerned about going blind or losing their sight or we talk about the friends and families, the sons and daughters and, and parents and aunts and uncles and everybody who has a loved one uh, who they care deeply about and they've really been experiencing and witnessing firsthand the challenges that person might be having around the COVID pandemic and isolation and everything that the value proposition we have as a new organization has to bring to them. Uh, we you know, hope that we will continue to grow as the community has borne witness uh, this past year to how we are growing. Uh, the ACB uh, communications manager position, as Eric mentioned, posted soon, that's going to be a, a critical part of taking the communications plan and, and blasting off, right, in a sense. Uh, we are doing everything uh, like what Cape Canaveral and Houston did uh, with the help of a consultant, Kane Vendimio. Uh, folks know Kate from the earlier communication deliverables and essentially putting together the art communications plan. But she's been working with Kelly very closely to help uh, launch this plan, working with Kelly on researches for the SEOs and search engine optimization helping with her editorial calendar and a number of other deliverables. One of those will be shared tomorrow. She has a subcontractor working with her named Lori, who's been fantastic, as we're putting together an affiliate communications toolkit. And this is to be a resource, a, a toolbox, if you will, of things that our affiliates can use. And it's a service hopefully we can provide to help them enhance their own communications, to find ways to, to build their own footprint, to build their own message, uh, and to build you know a message that will also, in the same sense, echo and create a drumbeat around our own causes and messages on the national side. Uh, that, you know, so that way it's all reverberated out, reverberated out through the organization. So Kate's been doing a wonderful job in, in leading those deliverables so that basically uh, we can be ready uh, to, to do our countdown with the communications manager. And that person is stepping in knowing that they're stepping into a rocket. Uh, my hope is in, in thinking about how we can blast this off into a larger, you know, umbrella in a sense, uh, in a sense that they, they, will, they will step into something that, that is ready to launch. So that is our key goal. Um, her contract will run through April 15th, so there will be a little bit of transition if we stay on our path to bring someone on in early April, the communications manager position. And I'm working, you know, very much in, in focusing in on, uh, you know, ways that that person can as well be, uh, when we talk about grants and health and wellness, you know, the public awareness piece for this Get Up and Get Moving campaign is a key part of that. Uh, and then, you know, so part of that will fall in an opportunity that we have Part of this job for communication managers is public awareness, right? And I think, uh, you know, a lot of the things that we're already doing that can fall under the umbrella, uh, existing umbrella, this get up and get moving campaign, I think will be some easy things that this person uh, can move into 
in terms of already doing some excellent public awareness outreach and marketing and communications. Uh, we're get, getting together a lot of hooks, if you will, uh, for media opportunities and other things later in the year. So uh, to that end, uh, that is my report as it stands today. I threw a lot out there, I know, in three little subsections, but I'm happy to entertain any questions if anybody has anything on what I've shared thus far. Thank you. All right. Well, Tony, thank you so much. I know we, we, uh, you know, one thing about you, you are extremely accessible and we have been, you know, this board has, I think has an ongoing conversation with you. So that's probably why there's not so many questions at this point in time, but we truly, truly uh, I appreciate, do have one, Dave. But, but David has one because he's yeah, the money guy. <laughs> you, you know, you, you got to expect the treasurer to have a question. Go ahead, David. <laughs> um, looking at our history with direct mail, uh, mm -hmm. as we move forward, it, it looks like you're, it looks to me like you're trying to get away from it. Am I correct? And if, if not, are you thinking about it? So we are still doing direct mail. And I think it's worth still doing at least one a year, right? Um, cause we still receive money from it. I'm not going to turn away right. Uh, money. Right. Um, right. a lot of it is doing some data crunching. We, we mailed out fewer this year. We're no longer using Lewis direct. We're using the local um, Arlington based, uh, organization, which has been nice to have someone that's literally down the street. Um, if we need things, you know, curried over and, and just communicating with Kelly and I on graphic design, um, you know, uh, our, our costs are, are obviously lower as such. We spent 2,500 and, um, uh, I'm trying to think it was about, about $2,500 on this last campaign. Uh, again, we don't know the, the return on investment just yet because we have a lot of checks that need to get, you know, Erica, is, as Eric has mentioned, has been very busy. Um, so we have still a lot of, of checks to go through and, and get them tracked and donor perfect so we can get an accurate number. But yeah, David, to answer your question, we are still going to be focusing on direct mail. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're adjusting the list, fine tuning list so that we can get a higher return on our investment for every dollar spent. Um, we're already seeing significant growth because the cost is almost extremely minimal. It's built into our donor perfect software on the online giving side where we're netting, you know, significant profits um, and, and revenue uh, comparatively. But in terms of the direct mail, uh, my goal is as well to be much more targeted. We spend a lot of money sending to people that, that, you know, it just gets thrown in the trash. So how can we target the people we know are giving to us consistently and make sure that they continue to be reachable? Um, if they're not already reachable by email. So we're, we're trying to balance that. And, you know, some folks that prefer email might've gotten a, a letter by accident. Uh, we're just readjusting that list and trying to get the, the sweet spot on the direct mail list, but we're definitely not going to give that up. All right. Thank you, Tony. Thank you so much. Um, and next I, we have your cohort in, in crime, right? Uh, JoLynn Bailey-Pace yeah, to talk about and she grants. Yeah. Post about some of the grant stuff going on lately. Well, thank you, Tony. And, and hello, everybody from the West Coast. Um, I took a big breath, Tony. There's a lot in, in your report. And I, I'm sure that everyone listening um, sees the potential for funding you know, for, for our grants power grid. Um, to support all of the initiatives that are that will be happening over the coming year. Um, before I talk about one very specific success that we had, does anyone have any questions on the um, the numbers or the breakdown of the grants power grid that Tony included in the written report? I don't want to drag you all through that, 
but um, if there's if there's anything specific you'd like to know or just want me to reiterate uh, the basic breakdown of where our funding prospects are, are distributed, um, please let me know. Okay, I will go on then. Um, Thank you, Eric, for announcing, you know, just a, a really wonderful success uh, with the award from the Gibney Family Foundation and Kim for reminding us of some key components of, of the whole grant process. But um, what I'd like to do, uh, since you have the basic information, um, I'd like to read you a portion of the congratulations of uh, the letter we received, um, because it demonstrates um, this very special foundation and the type of relationship we all hope for when we're dealing with a foundation and looking for an ideal grantor-grantee relationship. On behalf of the Gibney Family Foundation Board of Directors, I'm pleased to report your proposal has been approved. Congratulations on presenting a meaningful request. TGFF, the Gibney Family Foundation is honored to partner with you and empower your organization to move forward with your stated project and in your efforts to provide quality programs to the individuals you're reaching. Keep doing great things. We have never had quite that kind of a response before for any of our grants. Um, from the very beginning, um, it was a special way of developing a proposal and working through to completion. We were fortunate to work with Tracy Wasden, who is the new CEO, Sue DeFada, the Chief Financial Chief Operating Officer, and Jolene Widmark, who's the Chief Grant Officer. They work as teams. So here we were with a team behind us who encouraged us to develop a team approach, which involved Eric, Tony, Cindy, uh, Anthony Corona, the grants are our, our intern, and Nancy, of course, our, our finance uh, officer. So you've got these, these great folks working together. We've, we developed the proposal after two Zoom meetings at which Cindy just shown. I think she sold the entire um, community calls and uh, online engagement campaign. I think they were just blown away after hearing Cindy's portion of the presentation. So we had this, this track record of sending ideas to them. They'd bounce it back to us. We'd make corrections. And um, in our very final version of the proposal, I was able to include the results of our New Year's Eve day community -athon. And I think when they saw how that online effort, how cohesive our community has become in raising over $10,000 in one afternoon and evening. They were thrilled to be able to take that as the final, uh, final bit of information when they presented it to the full board. We, we anticipate working with them throughout the year, uh, you know, with support, giving feedback to them, and of course, acknowledging them in, in many different ways. But it's, it's just such a wonderful way to engage. And again, it's telling your story and you're telling it in real time. 
And so I, I think it gives you an idea that grant writing or, or this, this part of our fundraising isn't just paper pushing. It's every bit as much about cultivating a relationship as we do when we approach our individual donors. And we have a compelling story to tell, which involves our members, which involves every aspect of the organization, from ACV radio to communications to fundraising, you name it, it all gets put together. So I, I think we can see that, that going forward, we have a lot to approach our foundations with in terms of funding the um, Get Up and Get Moving campaign. You know, we'll be, we'll be reaching out and we'll, if we're lucky enough, we'll be able to work with the foundation as, as wonderful as Kidney. And as Kim mentioned, this is, this started um, when she was still president. And in fact, Kim, it was in 2017 that you worked, you had that initial meeting with, um, with the foundation. So it takes time, but in this case, it's come to fruition, and I think will act as a springboard for us to do many other things. I agree. Um, things meaning approach other foundations, involve uh, more of our programs. Um, one other um, grant I'd like to mention, it's not on the grants power grid, but it is something that involves ACB more and more as this particular program expands, and that is the Unit Description Project. Um, this began also in 2017, and ACB was asked to um, participate as a essentially a quality control component for the efforts that the Unit Description Project was making in developing audio description for the National Park Service's Unigrid brochures. You'll find one in every one of the parks in their standardized uh, format, but none had really been described. And as that program has expanded and, and developed with initial support from the Google Foundation or Google Foundation, um, ACB has gotten more and more involved. We have given our, our member resources as part of the review process, but also becoming more engaged in the twice yearly descriptathons, which are, are like hackathons for developing description for these brochures. It involves the, the park service rangers and other accessibility um, staff, and then our ACB members in helping to develop quality description for these brochures with their feedback and now actually direct participation. The most recent Descriptathon was, was in February. Um, it involved describing many uh, Midwestern parks. And we had a core group that was returning from ACB and then reached out to the Mid Midwest affiliates who stepped up and provided their own resources. Uh, I think everyone would agree it was very, it was long, it was complicated, but extremely rewarding. And we had good news on Friday that Google has once again funded the Unit Description Project for $50,000. So that will allow them to continue this uh, effort to describe over what we have now is over 100 of the 400 or so plus parks. 
something I wanted to, to, in addition to saying kudos to all of the ACB folks who step up, participate in this, give of their time and talents, ACB Radio, and particularly Deb Cook-Lewis with her brilliant suggestion to uh, move over to Zoom platforms for the Descriptathon, um, you know, have made this even more of a success. So again, we are involving um, all of our members, many of our programs, in an effort that will eventually benefit folks all over the United States. So thank you to everyone who gives of, of that time and talents with descriptive learning. Um, I don't have too much else at this point. Do we have any other questions just generally or um, if I can answer any? Jolyn, this is Dan, and I just want to reiterate what you said about Deb Cook-Lewis, but, you know, when we initially proposed when the University of Hawaii and the National Park Service were involved, and they're saying, well, we'd really like to use Zoom, but we were not allowed to use it in the federal government, or we really like to use Zoom, but Hawaii, University of Hawaii is not quite allowing it yet, and it'd be, it's just too bad that we can't use it. And ACB and Deb Cook-Lewis stepped up and said, we're very good at Zoom. We have many licenses and we would love to uh, help facilitate this. And not only did we do it, uh, Deb and team did it in such a professional way that I have heard just, I, I think our National Park Service and University of Hawaii are, are in awe and just impressed at the ability of, uh, you know, our organization to facilitate something like this and how well engaged and trained all of our volunteers were uh, in, in using the Zoom platform and understanding right. it. So, you know, it, this is something that has developed over the last year uh, throughout our organization, and I think we should be very proud of it. Uh, Dan, this is Pat Sheehan. Yes, Pat. Also wanted to, you know, congratulate, I think, ACB here on this Unity Description Project, bringing um, Blinded Veterans Association in. We have partnerships with that group, and I think bringing them into Unity Description was also a way to broaden the base of what we're doing, and that's good. Very good, yes. Uh, I felt good developing, again, developing our partnerships and, and, developing and, partnership. and broadening the base. Yeah. Well, thank you much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jolene. I'm going to uh, move move us along because Cindy has a hot date waiting. And uh, and uh, so so I need Ooh. to get I want to get her on the board before she meets with another set of members who are excited about the American Council of Blind. So, uh, Cindy, I'm going to let you take it away. And I, hopefully we can get you in here in about 15 minutes. We're we going to do it. Will you go? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to San Francisco here in a few minutes. Uh, one of the nice things about Zoom is we get to just travel all over the country, and I've done my share, so this is wonderful. Thank you so much. I did submit a report, and hopefully all of you had an opportunity to take a look at it. I won't go over it. I uh, will point out a few things. One, you know, uh, if... To really put into perspective the growth that has occurred in with these community calls that didn't exist a year ago, if you guys will recall, a year ago when we met at the board meeting, I announced that we were going to start a hump day happy hour on March 11th, which we did, <laughs> the Wednesday prior to kind of everything hitting the fan with uh 
COVID and staying at home and working from home and, you know, isolating and so on. So, uh, uh, so March 11th was that date, and we have continued to hold Hump Day Happy Hour calls uh, every Wednesday. We've we didn't do one during convention, and we've not done a couple of them uh, at the holidays, and also at uh, when we did a a bigger president's meeting that Dan did, uh, like say the Thursday that Thursday. Then we might not hold it, but really for the most part we've been doing um we average around 15 presidents on the call not all the same presidents every time and what it's evolved into is having uh, guest speakers come and share important information about programs and services answer questions and really act as a resource for the presidents but also utilize the presidents as a resource and engage with them so that's been really uh, awesome to hear or to observe. The other thing I wanted to share is that uh, the last two weeks of March, so our first, what I'm going to call our first community call was was March 17th. It was the first one that we wanted to uh, talk to members and encourage and continued engagement, how to stay connected with our membership. So, in those last two weeks of March, we held 11 calls. You guys, that is a slow day in a week of the community. Uh, 11 calls is like on the low end of our events in, in one day. This week alone, we will have held 93 events at the end of today. And I shared that we've held 2,535 events through March or through January 31st. Our biggest was in January. We held 324 events. As of the 27th of February for what is scheduled for this next week, and keep in mind, it's always fluid. Some things will get canceled other things get added on uh, so it you know could be one more one less but we will beat our high of 324 we should be right near 340 events for the month of february a short month with this week being a lesser week because many regular events have been canceled due to the leadership and legislative uh, leadership conference. So, uh, you know, for a short month, it's going to be our biggest month. And so nothing has any sign of slowing down. Uh, it just keeps on growing. And I think it's because we've allowed for authentic uh, and, and, tangible and real-time engagement people get to come to us we don't know who's joining our calls we don't ask for id at the door anyone can join in and we aren't pushing joining acb and we're just offering them this amazing engagement on a daily basis and consequently, what's happening is they're joining. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, I think we might be onto something. Uh, and so, uh, 
just some fun, you know, little things. I, I mentioned that our youngest known uh, participant is 12 years old. She also actually ended up, uh, she wanted to present uh, and, and help with do crafts. So got her matched up with Kayla Allen with our crafting group. And they had her uh, present and teach braiding. Uh, so at one of their Sunday events. Uh, can you just imagine how meaningful that was for Sydney? Uh, you know, just, I just think that we are doing all kinds of cool things like that to empower each other, encourage each other. Kelly mentioned about our Facebook group, and it really is a positive place to be. People uplift each other, support each other, and, you know, just so, so much encouragement, even when maybe someone is struggling and not everybody is happy and feeling that great, but people still come alongside and try to do what they can to encourage. And it just, it is really uh, definitely makes doing what I do and, and just being a part of all of this so meaningful. It is the best thing I've ever done in my working career. And um, just, really passionate about the difference we're making in the lives of people. We have new people coming along all the time and they're hearing about us from rehab uh, agencies, from Hadley, from teachers, TVIs. And, uh, you know, the word is getting out uh, lists and so on. Um, let's see. I feel like there was something else I really wanted to touch. On. Oh, <laughs> Belinda, uh, I just love the partnerships that we're, we're, you know, finding new partnerships all of the time. So Belinda started with ACB uh, by attending our convention. She ended up joining one of our special interest affiliates, BITS, uh, started coming to community calls more and more, decided she wanted to host. She says she's usually one that kind of likes to be in the background. Uh, but she also recently graduated from the, oh my gosh, I keep forgetting, World, world somebody help me. World, world Blind, Blind Services. Thank you, Eric. World Blind Services, um, so she could teach assistive technology. So she has great computer skills and has really uh, hit the ground running has been with uh, working with me two weeks and is doing a great job. And we will uh, be fortunate to have her with us for 12 weeks through the North Carolina uh, Division of Services for the Blind. So I think that's in, unless anybody has any specific questions. Cindy, did me. you want to talk about um, your approach for at-large members? You, you sure. I mean, we've, you know, I think our at-large uh, members, we are, holding we're using the community calls i mean if it works keep on using it um you guys saw a lot of our special interest affiliates are using them so we are creating some opportunities we've already done one we are looking to do more people spoke about wanting to learn more about our special interest affiliates they want to learn more about the workings of acb so we will be working on 
some programming to present to our members at large so that they can really um, grow in their understanding and commitment to ACB. Uh, and as you guys saw at a time when we rarely see any growth in membership, uh, we nearly doubled our at-large membership uh, since around convention to the end of the year. And I want to thank Nancy for assisting with getting the online form set up so that now people can actually complete the entire process of becoming a member at large online, including the payment, which was something that was missing uh, previously. And I think that has helped. And then, of course, so many people are coming to us through these uh, community events. And others are telling each other. I mean, it's word of mouth. People are sharing. So that, you know, has a lot to do with it as well. I have a, I have a question that just popped into my head, Cindy, and that is, you said the youngest known participant is around 12. Do, you ha do we know who the oldest known participant is? Well, I, I do know that, and I don't know for sure because there could be others, but we have had a gentleman named VJ, um, and VJ uh, is, I believe, 89 years old. Uh, now, there could be others that are older, but he's definitely one that uh, uh, is that I know of for sure of his age. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I also want to just acknowledge uh, uh, Donna and Ray, who are, you know, both, uh, of course, elected to this board and also have been active as hosts uh, in, in the community calls. And also to Eric and Dan, who have come to a couple of the coffee socials and uh and just and and eric who's also played on uh our it's playtime and played uh name that tune and trivia and uh, just people love that engagement so i'd like to challenge all of you board members to consider jumping in on a community call from time to time and uh, participating especially in some of the social events where people get to hear your voice and you get to hear their stories so you all gotta go to karaoke you gotta go to karaoke it's it's just <laughs> it's a blast <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. Cindy, could you yeah. talk a little bit, and I know you got to run, but could you talk a little bit about what, what I've been so impressed with, with the community events is really, you know, kind of you, you continue to say, we, you know, this is environment is, is safe, respectful, and welcoming. Yes. But I have seen, to me, a much more diversified population that's taking advantage of the community events than traditionally we see you know, coming up through our grassroots chapters and affiliates. Sure. So I think that's been just a huge positive for, for ACB, the, the lack of barriers of entry. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think that what I'm going to say is the door is open. Mm -hmm. The door is open and anyone can come in. And what we are finding is um, like right now, there's a presentation on NVDA and that is led by Brandon, who's 23 years old. Um, 
you know, age seems irrelevant with the community. We have people of all ages and we do breakouts and they, they engage with each other and they, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Age does not really seem to matter. We also have, of course, Next Gen has been doing uh, some regular activities in the community. And, uh, you know, so that's great. But really, you guys, anybody, regardless of age, are coming on these calls. And when we talk about, you know, ethnicity and and things like that, we don't even know. We don't know what, uh, you know, I will say that it's predominantly women, more women. Uh, that's a higher more women than men. I will more say women, that. that more women. Um, I, would, I would say it's like, it, it could be 90%, 10%. Uh, rarely ever would I, we see 20% of men, except for on every other Tuesday night when the man cave, you're going to find a hundred percent men there. <laughs> so, um, and so many ideas of people bringing just, that's, I think what it is, is that, you know, we've, and we'll talk about some of the policy types of things that we're having to put into place. But up until now, we haven't really had to say no to anybody. So people come up with ideas and it doesn't matter. We have somebody teaching guitar on Mondays. Uh, just, you know, and people don't have to be the expert. Uh, they they share what they know and, and others that might have more knowledge come alongside them and it really is a community people are there just to help and support and to it's boy i'm proud of it uh, well not only that not only that but uh you know as a, first of all as a host getting to participate as a host and listen to so many different topics has really been quite you know eye-opening and somewhat educational i'd say but the other thing about it is that is that you know people are just there are people who live for these calls i mean there are people that are on many calls a day that's the way their schedule works and then there are some that can't you know get on a lot of calls but get on what they can so but people really really live and i think and cindy i think one of the things that was that i'd share that when you and i were talking a while back is that you think you would think guys that people would be oh this community is great we don't really want to meet in person far from it the, these the, these folks want They're to do planning. some stuff at convention they are planning it there's mm -hmm. going to be uh, you know a, we, a cry for community activities we, we, we've been only half joking at the about conventions that we, we said well we'll crash the vendors karaoke night and we're like well maybe we ought to have our own <laughs> because this, <laughs> Dan this is Donna go ahead Donna please yes yeah. yeah. I. I think also, and Cindy would, I, I think, agree, I think it's really wonderful that people have stepped up to host that people who we really didn't know. Yes. And and I think that's another part of it. And, you know, they, they've kind of stepped up, even though it's not leadership like we think of it, but it kind of is. You know, when you're hosting that meeting, it's not like you're facilitating, but you are 
you know, they always say when they switch the hosting to us, you've got the power now. And, yeah. you know, it's kind of It's a does. responsibility. We're giving yeah. that great responsibility yeah. and trusting them with that room. I do want to thank you, Donna. And I do want to acknowledge a couple of people that have really worked hard to assist me with training hosts. And that is Sheila Young and Monica Svopa. And, uh, and man, people who have come alongside to help, they've, they've participated as a team on uh, opening rooms for me. So we have a core group of people that are helping with that. And there was a time I was doing it all. I'm glad I'm not anymore. Uh, and then I would be remiss uh, if I didn't mention, I know Tony did mention it, but we did 12 hours of programming on New Year's Eve. It was a, a we, I pulled a committee together. We created the program. We had um, entertainment throughout it and uh, opportunities for people to give and raised over $10,700 in that 12 hour period. And people were proud to be a part of that. And uh, it was, you know, it, we knew it could, it, we knew it could work after the Thanksgiving event and Friendsgiving. And when we were together for 10 hours, the other event that I think was a pretty amazing. And next year, we just need to do it again. People are telling me it has to happen. And that was, we did a Christmas tree lighting. And it was one of the most moving events I've been to to be frankly honest with you. And uh, people described the ornament that they were putting on the virtual tree. And some of them had sentimental, uh, you know, meaning. Um, and others were just because they liked a certain something. Some were real and they had it in their hand. Others they created in their mind. And it was beautiful. And then uh, for those of you who uh, know Jamaica from Georgia, uh, she was in the audience and I asked her if she would uh, put up the star on the tree and she did and there was and everybody could feel it and see it and then we had music when the tree got lit and Dan talked a little bit and then the he plugged it in and visually we couldn't see anything but really we all could see it so uh, just uh, it's it's been a great great uh 11 months and look look to see some anniversary activities in March because March 17th will be our one year anniversary and uh, we are we have people that are already planning stuff so. cool you know you That's know uh, you know I, I, we will never know we will never know or be able to quantify what this community has meant over this pandemic to our population that without it could have really suffered some pretty detrimental things from isolation and things like that. And it's just been, it's just been something that we'll, we'll never know the impact, but it has been impactful. Yep. And thank, and thank you for those kind of closing comments. I'm going to let them be the yep. closing comments because yep. I know Cindy yep. has to run yep. by Cindy. I'm used Bye. to Cindy saying goodbye. Uh, and, go, Boop. and then, uh, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Nancy, I, I'm going to put you on pause. Uh, you're, you're the last thing of our staff reports, but you kind of roll right into the financial narrative. So if you don't mind, I'm going to, we've, we've been for two hours now. So I'm going to go ahead and do a 15 minute break till 315 Eastern. And then we'll come back and hear uh, Nancy's uh, CFO report and go into 
uh, David's financial narrative and through the rest of the agenda. So we're adjourned till 3.20, okay? So 15 minutes. <laughs>